me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're going to be focusing in on the last three verses of Acts, verses 40 through 42. Just to get you up to speed, if you haven't been involved in this series that uh, we have been going through here at First Presbyterian Church, you'll find in chapter 5 that the apostles have been preaching and teaching Christ in and around Jerusalem. The word has gone out. We encountered Pentecost in chapter 2. God empowers the church by His Holy Spirit, and they are empowered to go and be witnesses at this point in Jerusalem, but soon will spread to throughout Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now this preaching of Christ in Jerusalem has brought or drawn the ire of the religious officials, especially the Sadducees, a particular party amongst the religious leaders, who did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And of course, they're preaching that Christ has risen from the dead and, he's, and his mission is going forward, and they're seeing it happen. So it's really got them upset. And so the Sanhedrin, the council, the, the religious leaders of the day, they had the apostles arrested. But we, we read here in chapter 5 that an angel busted them out of jail and told them to go back to the temple and keep on preaching, and they did that. And so when the Sanhedrin gathered together to, uh, to meet with these apostles, they went to the prison and they weren't there. Someone said, well, you, you won't find them in the prison, they're in the temple preaching. And so the Sanhedrin had them brought back to the council meeting, and pre- Peter preached to them some more. This made them even angrier, to the point that they actually wanted to kill the disciples. But a man named Gamaliel stood up in in what could be called their defense. He said, basically, that if this movement is not from God, then it will certainly burn out and nothing will come of it. But if it is from God, then you will find yourself uh, opposing God, and and you don't want to do that. And so the religious leaders decide to let them go, but not after having them beaten. And that is where we pick up the reading in verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we pray that Christ would be exalted in these uh, few moments when we reflect upon your word, that you would grant us illumination by your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to see, to understand, to grasp the things of God. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. Uh, I've lived long enough to find that uh, I rarely make it past a month or so with my efforts to lose weight or to be more disciplined in some some manner. So uh, I, I've pretty much just stopped doing that, stopped disappointing myself. And, uh, you know, when we try to do things in the flesh, you know, by our own willpower, it's usually doomed to failure anyway because we can't maintain those disciplines. But I do have a suggestion for everyone here this morning, a New Year's resolution that I would suggest to you, and it's this. 
that you would resolve to be more joyful this year. Now that sounds great, doesn't it? Who wouldn't like to have more joy in their lives in 2015? But let me be a bit more specific about that resolution. I've kind of thrown the hook out there and I'm going to reel you in. To resolve, this would be my, my uh, updated resolution, to resolve to rejoice in the Lord more in 2015. And you might say, well, that sounds more like a preacher uh, giving out resolutions. Well, I would contend that there is no difference in those two statements, that uh, to resolve to have more joy or to resolve to rejoice in the Lord, uh, they're really the same thing because to rejoice in the Lord will make you more joyful like you've never experienced because only in the Lord can you find true, lasting joy. In fact, that is why uh, humanity was created. The chief end of man, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, is to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To enjoy Him forever. And if you follow John Piper any, he, he adapts that and he says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. It does glorify God when we enjoy Him because we are saying that God is valuable and that we, we think that He matters and He is a priority for us and we are delighted and joyful when His name and His cause and His person is promoted. So to find true lasting joy, you can only find that in Christ. Now we're going to explore that thought more in a few minutes, but let's turn our attention to the text before us this morning, these apostles, and we will find that they are themselves rejoicing in this passage, especially in verse 41. That's the verse that I found very intriguing and why I wanted to spend some time meditating on that, this mor- this, th- that verse this morning, because it tells us there particularly that the apostles rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were experiencing joy even in the midst of difficulties and trials and sufferings, and, and in this case, being beaten for preaching Christ. They were physically beaten. Now that word, beaten here, is it's not the specific word for scourging or flogging that you might find uh, for example, when Christ is scourged before he's crucified. That's a, that's a specific word for that. But this word beaten here can and probably does mean that these apostles were in fact scourged. It would have been a typical type of, of punishment by beating that would have occurred in that day. Now the scourging consisted of striking the victim's bare skin with a, uh, with a tripled strip of calf's hide. And it was, uh, it was customary for them to receive two blows on the back and then one on the chest. And so it always came in threes. So, you know, when you read about, uh, 39 lashes, that's three times 13. Uh, so that's why it would come in groups of three and it wouldn't be 40, for example when it talks about it in Deuteronomy, if you're familiar with what it talks about there about, uh, about scourging. So this punishment uh, was uh, pretty bad, you know, painful punishment. And it doesn't tell us here that they received 39 uh, lashes, but they obviously received some sort of beating and uh, probably a scourging. 
And they would have had this happen to them publicly. So not only is it a painful, physically painful thing to endure, it was done publicly in order to humiliate and shame the, the offender. So this punishment was designed not only to be physically painful, but to be emotionally painful as well. Well, if that's the effect the Sanhedrin were seeking, they failed miserably, at least on the emotionally painful part. Instead of departing uh, the beating ashamed with their heads hung low and their tail between their legs, the disciples depart rejoicing. Now, they were not rejoicing that they were beaten. That would be very weird. But they were, they were rejoicing, as it tells us here, that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It wasn't the beating itself, but the context for the beating that caused them to rejoice. Yes, they were treated as dishonorable people by the Sanhedrin. They were, uh, there was a, a certainly a stigma associated with being beaten publicly. But they did not mind. These disciples did not mind because it was, and here's the most important part, it was for the name. That prepositional phrase there is everything. That means everything. All that they endured, especially, specifically, this physical beating that they endured, was for the name. It was for Christ's name, for his person and his cause. When you talk about something done in someone's name, you know, someone's name is associated with their person, but also with their cause. So they, they were regarded as worthy. They merited being dishonored for the sake of Christ, for being associated with Christ and His work. And they rejoiced because of this. They identified with Christ most of all. And they found that they were being identified with Christ and that caused them to rejoice. And whatever they went through, whatever circumstances they endured, to be identified with Christ was fine with them, as long as they were identified with Christ. Now, as I'm hinting at right now, their attitude to the beating reveals their priorities. What is most important to the apostles? And it's just another way of asking the question we were talking about at the beginning. Where, where is their chief joy? What gives them the most joy in life? What is, what is their priority? You see, Pascal said it. You know, you usually associate Pascal with with math or geometry or something like that. It's been a long time since I've studied any Pascal, thankfully. Math doesn't come into play a lot in the pastorate, except when we're counting the offering, and, and I usually don't do that. But Pascal was also a Christian and a philosopher, and he had this to say, All men seek happiness without exception. They all aim at this goal, however different the means they use to attain it. They will never make the smallest move but with this as its goal. This is the motive of all the actions of all men, even those who contemplate suicide. So what Pascal is saying is that everyone is pursuing their joy. They're pursuing that thing that they think will make them most happy. And in the case, he goes on in the, the, the quote, as it is in a greater context, he says, some people go to war because that gives them joy and happiness. Some people contemplate suicide because they think 
that's the way for them to be happiest. Their lives are so miserable they just want to escape and they would be happier without that. But in everything, he says, all men are seeking their happiness, their joy. And we look for it in all kinds of places, in all kinds of created things, in all kinds of circumstances. But the disciples here found it in Christ. And here is where the challenge comes to us this morning because we see their priorities, their desires, their delights and their joys are probably very different, well, no doubt, are very different than what you see from much American Christianity of our day. What was most important to the disciples? What brought them joy? Well, several things we know did not bring them joy or that did not matter so much to them. One was their safety. Uh, Safety wasn't a priority for them. They didn't find any joy in, in being safe, being secure. Because if they, if they valued security or safety, uh, most of all, they would have stopped preaching. They had already been arrested once and warned that they needed to stop preaching, but they ignored that warning. And you see here, even after being beaten, that comprehensive statement of verse 42, every day from house to house and in the temple, they did not cease preaching that Jesus was the Christ. They kept on. So safety wasn't a concern for him. They endured a painful beating. They might have said, well, I don't want that to happen again, so I'm going to stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. Well, they didn't, they didn't do that. They didn't think that what they were doing was too dangerous. So safety wasn't their priority. Neither was comfort. Now you think about it, they had been arrested and put in prison. You know, they had been out preaching and teaching. And then they were thrown in prison, which I'm sure was not a a comfortable situation. And then the angel comes and breaks them out and says, go to the temple and preach some more. And they don't say, well, uh, you know, Mr. Angel, uh, you know, I've been up all night and I've been in this prison and it's difficult. I need to go home and get some rest. I want to prop my feet up for a minute and then I'll go back. No, they went immediately. They They didn't value comfort in their rest more than anything else, they went back to preach Christ, to proclaim Him to those who were coming to the temple for the morning sacrifices. So comfort wasn't a priority for them. They didn't find delight in that. And certainly they, they didn't value a name or a good reputation in the community. Because here they are uh, being beaten and shamed, uh, treated as dishonorable in the community for, for everyone to see. And they were willing to go back and do it again. And indeed, we'll find that they, that, that is what exactly is what happened to them. They didn't look for experiences, you know. All these things that I'm listing off are things that we in America tend to prioritize. You know, our security, our comfort, uh, our, our reputation in the community, uh, the experiences that we have. We want our circumstances to be uh, good and comfortable, and, and we don't want to suffer. We don't want to go through difficult things. And so we design our lives around making sure that we're comfortable, making sure that our circumstances are just exactly the way that we want them. 
And that really is the challenge for us, to look beyond circumstances to find joy, not in our circumstances, but in a person, namely Jesus Christ. Because that's what the disciples did. All these things that I've just listed for you, the security, the comfort, reputation, their experiences, their circumstances, everything paled in comparison to Christ. He was the most important thing. He was the thing that they delighted in. He was the thing that that gave them most joy. Following Him, obeying Him, doing what He had asked them to do, talking about Him with people uh, in the temple from house to house. This is what they enjoyed. They loved talking about Christ. Just the way that we love talking about the things that are our priorities. And when something means something to you, when when uh, you you have something that is of value to you, you know maybe it's your family, uh, maybe it's your children, or maybe it's your job, or maybe it's your sports team. We tend to talk about those things that uh, are of great value to us, that we delight in, that we enjoy, and that was that's what uh, we see reflected here in these disciples. That their chief joy was to talk about Christ and to share the good news with other people. Paul had this same kind of attitude. See, they, they were willing to, to uh, as long as they could pursue Christ, know Christ, uh, enjoy Christ, talk about Christ, they were happy. And when their circumstances were negative, when, when they were beaten or when they suffered persecution or trouble, they didn't even really care too much because they were getting to do the thing that they loved getting to delight in the person that they loved. The Apostle Paul was the same way. And in Philippians 3, he says uh, the same thing that I'm communicating. He says, he, he lists off all the things that were great about his life before he, he came to know Christ. He was well-respected in the community. He was a Pharisee, uh, he, uh, one of the party uh, of the religious leaders of the day. He had the equivalent of what would be considered a doctorate in the Old Testament. He was a very learned man. Uh, he, was, uh, he had a great lineage, uh, being a, uh, an, an Israelite of Israelites. He was, he was saying he's, he's the very best Israelite there is. He was a great Jew. Uh, he had uh, a lineage of the tribe of Benjamin. All these things he lists off and says that he was even more righteous than everybody else. He was a really good person. He had all these things going for him. But here's what he says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Like the apostles, himself an apostle, Paul said all those things that I had going for me in in my previous life, I threw those to the side and, and they don't even matter to me anymore. In fact, I, I, I despise those things in relation to how much I delight in Christ to know Him and to walk with Him and to even share in His sufferings 
These things are what brings me delight now. Well, that begs the question for us. What is your chief joy in life? What is most important to you? What is your utmost priority? I found this passage challenging and intriguing because it spoke to me. It it made me reassess my priorities. What is it that I delight in? And I was thinking about that, you know, these Christians are like athletes. Uh, An athlete will suffer, go through a lot of trouble and pain in order to train, uh, to get better, to to perfect the, the sport that they're involved in. They'll go through a lot of sacrifices on behalf of of practicing their sport, becoming better, because they want to taste the glory and joy of victory. They're pursuing that. And you see that uh, in in the lives of many athletes whose whole, uh, you know, their whole existence is around perfecting that skill or craft that they use in whatever game it is they're playing. And you think about that, you know, how they will, they will, uh, willingly buffet their bodies. They will go through things that cause them pain. I remember when I was a young person and, and uh, I played a lot of different sports and, and I remember being very sore, you know, especially on the first day, first weeks of practice when you're not used to running so much or lifting weights as much as, as you had after the summer break when you sat around drinking Cokes and went to the beach and didn't do anything. Well, now you're, you're sore because you're working, but you knew that that was something that was good. You know, no pain, no gain. And so you were willing to go through it because you knew you were, you were getting better and stronger and faster. See, you would sacrifice for the sake of something, something that you didn't have in hand, but to be better and to play the game and to win the game. Well, followers of Christ are no different. We're called. To follow Christ, and it's not easy. We live in a world that is opposed to Christ. You know, it tells us clearly, Jesus said it clearly to the disciples on more than one occasion, do not be surprised by the suffering that you endure, persecution, or that people hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you as well. A servant is not greater than the master, Jesus said. And you will be persecuted for following Christ. It will be Difficult. There will be trouble involved in following Christ in a world that is opposed to Christianity. In fact, there's many benefits to this, to following Christ and suffering for it and enduring trouble. God takes the trouble that you endure for His sake when you value Christ above all things and you, you delight yourself in the Lord and when you throw yourself uh, into following Him Yes, it will be difficult, but even, even then God uses that in great ways in your life. And you begin to see that as you endure it. Paul said in Philippians earlier in the book, in chapter 1, he says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Now that, that's a very interesting verse. It has been granted to you, which is the word for grace. It has been graciously given to you to believe. And yeah, we, we believe that, right? You know, God has graciously uh, given us faith. Uh, he's granted us repentance, the Bible tells us. 
and we can understand him graciously giving that to us. That's a wonderful gift, the gift of faith. But he also says it's a gift as well to suffer for his sake. That's, a, that's something that God has given us. You know, it's, 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 there's two kinds of gifts you get. You know, the one you really want and the one you don't really want. You know, maybe you got some gifts at Christmas. You know, uh, maybe a pet. And maybe you love the pet, but the pet's going to be a lot of work. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of sacrifice to having, being a, a pet owner. And that, that requires a little more effort and pain and toil and, and strife in your life than you would have otherwise. God has given us suffering, and there's many reasons, just to list off a few. First, it's a ministry to others. When other people see Christians value Christ even more than their own safety and comfort, you know, they stop and say, that's very odd that someone, you know, you look at these disciples, that's very odd that they would rejoice in being beaten, that they would be willing to go through that. So Christ must be pretty important if they're willing to do that. But when the world looks at a church that's not even willing uh, to show up on Sunday morning, that really uh, is not willing to invest their resources and, and energy and time in the church, then they say, well, it must not be very important because even the Christians don't take it very seriously. But as we take it seriously and value it above all things, the world takes notice. So it's a ministry to others. Christian growth is increased by suffering. Romans 5. We have been justified by, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him also we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So see, there's the, yes, we've been justified. But he goes on. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, Christian growth occurs through the trouble and suffering of following Christ. Also, God uses the suffering of Christians to triumph over Satan and the enemies of Christ and his church. Just look at the look at the, the story of Job. Job was a righteous man. God himself affirmed that he had never done anything to make him mad, but Satan came along and started picking on Job and God allowed it. Not for Job's sake, but for the sake of God's, God's glory. You know, Job suffered to vindicate God before Satan. Satan said, you know, if you, if you make Job suffer, he'll, he'll give up on you just as quick as anything. You take away all these wonderful comforts that you've given him, and he will renounce you. And God allowed that to happen. And what did Job do? Even if he slays me, even if he slays me, I will not renounce him. I will not forsake him. I will not turn my back on God, even when his wife was telling him, curse God and die. See, it's a triumph over Satan when we stand, in spite of our circumstances, 
We say God is worth it. God is worth even greater. He's even greater than all the comfort and peace and, and health that we can have. But ultimately, our reward is great in heaven when we suffer. Jesus said that in the Beatitudes, the last one. Blessed are those who are, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you or falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 1 Peter 4 says the same thing. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. On the front of the bulletin, I've given you a quote by John Flavel. I invite you to look at that because it's a, it's a long quote, but it's so good. Such a reminder of that day when we will stand before the judgment seat. Oh, sirs, John Flavel says, one of these days the Lord will break out of heaven with a shout accompanied with myriads of angels and ten thousands of his saints, those glittering courtiers of heaven. The heavens and earth shall flame and melt before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. The graves shall open, the sea and earth shall yield up their dead. You shall see him ascending the awful throne of judgment, and all flesh gathered before his face, even multitudes, multitudes that no man can number and then to be brought forth by Christ before that great assembly of angels and saints, and there to have an honorable mention and remembrance made of your labors and sufferings, your pains, patience and self-denial, of all your sufferings and losses for Christ, and to hear from his mouth, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, what honor is this! Yet this shall be done to the man that now chooses sufferings for Christ rather than sin that esteems his reproaches greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, like Moses did. As we think about that, that day, you know, there's, there are people in our lives that we respect and we, we really uh, long for their approval. You know, there are people, other ministers that I respect and, and love, and I would love for them to notice me and say, you know, that Tim Horn, he's a, he's a good preacher. And we should get him to come and, and speak at our next conference. And he can show off his expertise. That would be great. You know, I would love that. It's not likely to happen, but, uh, you know, you dream. There are people that we, we seek their approval and we want to be noticed by them. But who greater than Jesus Christ to be noticed by him? For him to say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, Christ is worthy uh, of 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 all of our love, uh, of all of our service, of all of our obedience. There's nobody more worthy because he's the king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. And we pursue these creature comforts and, and the things of life that uh, we fill our days with that, that are going to come to nothing in the end. But Christ and his kingdom is forever. And only those who follow him will enjoy that. So as we come to... 2015 and this resolution, back to that resolution that I've made to rejoice in the Lord. The challenge for us is not to go out and try to suffer for Christ. Uh, the, the challenge isn't even to be uh, more dedicated. I think that would be a mistake. But the challenge for us is to delight in Christ. 
to to delight in him, to find our joy in him. And, and you can only do that by looking at it, by understanding who he is, that he's the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is of infinite value, to really grasp what he's done for you and to continue to rehearse that. As people say nowadays, preach the gospel to yourself, this good news of Christ. To continue to put yourself in a position to, to, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And when you taste and see that the Lord is good, you know, it's just like anything else that you taste and find is good. You, know, you might think that peanut butter and jelly sandwiches are the greatest thing in the world, but probably because you've never tried a good steak. You try the good steak, you're going to leave the peanut butter and jelly to the side. When you find in Christ uh, something of infinite value, then you know your comfort, your security, uh, your reputation, they don't mean so much because you found something of greater value and greater worth. And that's the challenge for us in 2015, to look at Christ, uh, to enjoy Him, to delight in Him, and therefore He will be glorified in us. Let's pray together.